Happy Labor Day. This weekend, a three-day weekend, and don't you love three-day weekends? Especially this one, right? The end of summer, one last chance to indulge the festivities of the season, to dip in the pool, and we've got beautiful 90-degree weather just to accommodate all your water needs, to take the boat out on the lake. Just, just please wait until worship is over. Travel to go see relatives, fire up the grill. This is a weekend to play, to eat, to enjoy life, right? Except, except it's not. It's not. It's, it's Labor Day, and that's not originally what the holiday was for. Labor Day was begun in this country not as a gift from the federal government to all you swimmers and boaters out there. But Labor Day, according to the U.S. Department of Labor, from their website, it is a creation of the labor movement. And it is dedicated to the social and economic achievements of American workers. It constitutes a yearly national tribute to the contributions workers have made to the strength, prosperity, and well-being of our country. That is Labor Day. Now, ironically, and actually sadly, those who work the hardest in our country, for whom this holiday was created, are often the ones least likely to have the day off. Sometimes we take these three-day weekends for granted. For those who have the day off, you didn't have to go to your boss and beg to have Labor Day off. It was just given to you as a gift. We didn't have to organize the PTO to petition that our children get out of school on Monday to honor the American worker. It was just on the school calendar before we ever showed up to school. It was already settled on every calendar, every year, this time of year, Labor Day. But this this is not the way things always were. Now, I was reminded of this this past Thursday. Our church hosted our monthly gathering of disciples clergy from the Des Moines area. 30 or so pastors, both retired and active duty, were here eating Bellagio's in our fellowship hall, catching up with each other after another busy summer of ministry. And as is our tradition, we had a guest speaker, Liz Hall, who I mentioned earlier will be our guest next Sunday. Liz is an organizer with AMOS, which is an acronym, which stands for a mid-Iowan organizing strategy. You you got to make it work for the name. We we wanted a a profit name, I guess. So AMOS is the name. And AMOS pulls together congregations of multiple faiths and denominations, all from around the Des Moines area, to work for the good of families in our area. That's their purpose. I told you a few weeks ago when we talked about being citizen disciples, about my time working for the Jeremiah Group in New Orleans. Amos is a sister organization to Jeremiah. And I'm excited that Liz will get to be our guest, that you'll get to meet her, hear more about Amos. Marty and I are not taking our own three-day weekend. Uh, We'll still be here, uh, but we'll be here with you listening and learning all about the good work that's being done. But back to Thursday, Liz began her time with us by asking us this question. She said, how are families in your churches doing? Pretty simple question. Got us pastors talking pretty easily. We told stories about two working parents or one single parent family who still couldn't afford to make ends meet, couldn't afford housing, childcare. We talked about families who had enough financial resources 
but they are stretched so thin from soccer to football to dance to scouts to so many more great things, yet doing so much that they have no time to even eat a meal together. We went on for a while, you get us clergy talking, and it's, it's hard to shut us up. Isn't that right, Roger? We, we just keep talking and talking. But after a while, Liz threw out a question that had us in silence. She said, okay, well, we talked about families, but who created the family? Well, God. Uh, it's got to be God, right? But she pushed us a little. The, the modern family, the family that we know today, the, the two parents and 2.5 kids and a pet, the family that has time for work and then play, the family that can send its children to school and then to great after-school programs, a family that can go to college and get a decent education for a decent paying job and then take time off from their decent jobs for a decent vacation. This kind of family was not just, it didn't just fall into place, but was a modern invention. It was willed into existence. It was fought for. It did not always exist. Before all the successes that Labor Day celebrates, in the early part of our country, people who worked might work 12, 14, 16, even 18 hours a day or more with little pay and no benefits, no hope of retirement, and no time off. Childhood, as we know it, was virtually non-existent, for children were workers too, not learners or players. The weekend didn't exist, for much less a three-day weekend. Every day was a work day, if you were that worker. But then people of faith began to see what was happening to families. Some people were literally dying in factories that were unsafe. Others were being worked almost to death by this kind of, of, of uh, job situation, never having a break. And so people of faith began to stand up and demand that things change. Inspired by the Sabbath from the Ten Commandments, they fought for a minimum wage. And they demanded that what we now call a weekend come to existence so that families could work six days and take that seventh day off as Sabbath for rest and for worship. They fought for salaries big enough so that only one parent had to work while the other could stay home and care for children. They demanded that we protect those children, not force them to work, but give them the space for learning and to play. And this fight for the family, this fight from people of faith, this is what Labor Day is all about. Now, in our text from James today. I can almost imagine James in those early days of the labor movement standing in a picket line, demanding higher wages and child labor laws. Or maybe not. Maybe James would have been the one in the pulpit, pointing his finger at people in the church, calling for followers of Christ to leave their safe church buildings and go stand in solidarity with those who are suffering. After hearing these words that Mark read from the book of James, we don't have to ask I wonder how James felt about that. James just kind of lays it out. No holds barred. Tells us straight up that favoritism and segregation of any kind has no place in a community of faith. In Christ, there is no rich or poor, but we love our neighbor as ourselves. Yet in James's church, they were favoring the rich, the well-dressed, over the poor beggar 
Those with position and power were getting all the best seats in worship, yes, but also at the potluck and on the church board. And what does James have to say about that? Well, if you show partiality, James says, you commit sin straight up. Partiality has no place in church. But James doesn't leave it there. He starts meddling a little bit because he knows how we church folks sometimes are, especially we clergy type. We love to talk about pressures facing families and then pray for those who are suffering. And you get us worked up enough and we'll even post something on Facebook about it. Don't, don't make us because we will. But what good is it? James says, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, if you post about your faith, but do not have works, can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, eat or keep warm and eat your fill. And yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What good is that? Now, I'll admit, James probably wouldn't last long as a local church pastor. He, he doesn't know how to put the message softly. He just lays it out blunt and offensively. But maybe we need to be offended. Did, did you know that in our country today, that almost three and a half million workers in the United States make at or less than minimum wage? Now, anyone know what minimum wage is right now? $7.25, right? Yeah, seven fifty is a raise. That's, that's good. The average salary in Iowa right now is around $50,000. Yet if you are a full-time minimum wage worker in the United States, you earn $15,080 a year with no health insurance, no paid leave or retirement. The, the, the kid gets sick, you just don't work, and you don't get paid. It's almost impossible for one person to live on $15,000, let alone a single parent with children. Even two family members working two minimum wage jobs try to pay the rent, try to afford childcare, and don't even try, don't even attempt for health care. And that's just one piece of it. We could go on about the difficulties of affording college, which is almost necessity if you want to get a better paying job. We could talk about the decrease in the U.S. of these good jobs, high-paying manufacturing jobs, the, the, the center, the backbone of the American economy that are now gone from our country and probably gone forever. We, we could talk about how when you take into account inflation, that wages have basically remained stagnant since the 70s as prices of food and other needed necessities continue to rise. We can talk about the high amount of debt that families carry, that no matter their salary, they have little to no expendable income and live as if they were poor. We could talk all about this, but these are not things we talk that much about, especially not in church. Yet James is imploring us to do so because people are suffering in his day and in ours. Families are suffering. And here's the situation as we've seen in Norwalk. For the working poor, those who are working, have jobs, there are four safety nets. First, the basic governmental assistance, things like food stamps and Medicaid. 
And then there's the Red Rock Community Action Program in Indianola. Yet I'm told by most people who I talk to who've gone to them that usually when they arrive, they're already out of funds for the month. The demand is so high and what the resources that they have are so little. Norwalk schools do so much to help families. They are frontline support. Even with decreasing budgets for social work, they do so much. And then there's the Norwalk Ministerial Association. All churches in Norwalk participate in some way. Weekly clients at our food pantry continue to increase. This, this year has been the highest trafficked year in the history of the food pantry. And shelves are difficult to keep stocked. We got word last week that our ministerial fund, the fund that the golf outing uh, helps uh, fund, was at an all-time low, not because of donations, but because we're at an all-time high with demand, and they're asking that we limit our assistance to $100 per person, maybe once or twice a year. $100 will not even pay most utility bills that people are asking help with. And that's it. That's what you got. And that's not much. If you're struggling, there's not much to catch you. The people in Norwalk needing help the most are not homeless or jobless. I don't know that I've ever encountered somebody who had no job or no home asking for help. But they're working families. Families who cannot seem to make enough to make ends meet. Your neighbors. And what good is it if we give people food and yet they still don't have enough money to live. At the end of the presentation on Thursday, Liz said to us, I, I don't mean to depress you. And well, it is kind of depressing, isn't it? Labor Day is supposed to be exciting. This is depressing. We need some good news, she said. And then she told us a story, a story about others in our area who were working with Amos, who created three years ago a program called Project Iowa. After hearing stories like we have here in Norwalk that are repeated all over the metro area of families struggling, they realized they could no longer say, as they said in James's church, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill. They had to put their faith into action. And so they brought together all those in their churches and their neighborhoods who were looking for jobs. And then they went out and they actually talked to employers, major employers in the metro area, church people calling up business owners and saying, hey, what kind of jobs do you have? They were looking for good jobs that actually paid family wages. And they got a list of employers who are ready to hire people, yet say, we don't have enough skilled workers who will show up. And those who we hire won't stay on the job. We need good workers. And so they pulled together training resources and found from the schools and other organizations how to train these workers and put people in need of a job into training for a job that actually existed. And the results have been incredible. They've pulled support systems around these workers as they provided community support groups, as they provided assistance with rent, as they're going through job training or transportation or clothes or help with an interview. And those who graduate from the program, which is most of the students, every one of them get an interview. And most of those interviewed end up in a job that they keep, where they're paid a wage where their family can stop going to food pantries and relying on resources that are stretched thin. And it got me asking, why aren't we doing this here in Norwalk County? If you live in Polk County, you can get involved. But in Norwalk, in Warren County, what's for families who are working, trying to make ends meet? Working families here 
our neighbors should not have to rely on the food pantry for their groceries. James would say that is a sin. That should not be. And that's what James is calling us to do this morning, to pay attention to how people are suffering, to not look at outer appearances, but to look at what people are really going through, to not just offer blessings and prayers, but get to know families, our neighbors, hear their stories, and do what we can to give them two legs to stand on. And that's the history of Labor Day, which reminds us that people of faith have done this before, and we can do it again. I hope you'll be here next Sunday. I'll be here and hear more from Liz to hear about Amos and ways that we can partner with other churches to do good work. And may God bless us all as we hear the suffering in our community and put our faith to work. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us now sing number 461, Lord, whose love through humble service One of those songs that you know the tune, you may not know the name, but you know the song. Verses 1, 2, and 4 as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Mm -hmm. 